Hey guys, it's David. This is just a heads up that the episode you're about to hear was recorded a few weeks ago while Tyler was on his sabbatical, and this is the one that was uh, lost initially because one of the vocal tracks uh, was uh, unusable. So I um, uh, did some fiddling with the levels based on the pickup from the other two mics and uh, got it to where you can pretty much hear it. It doesn't sound great, but you can hear... Uh, all three of us now so um that's just a disclaimer for what you're about to hear please enjoy the episode And welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Once again, Tyler Smith is on assignment. Joining me as co-host, uh, she's her, her first appearance uh, within the history of the show was not that long ago, but she's quickly become a listener favorite uh, and always sparks a lot of comments, tweets, and emails. So hopefully we'll uh, get some of those going again. Right, hopefully those aren't too negative. Now I'm oh, no. scared. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Amy Nicholson. Oh hi! Hello. Thank you for coming back. It is my pleasure to be back. Hi everyone. No, no they're 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 positive. Um, the, these these tweets and emails. Uh, I think they're all from my mom. <laughs> um, so we, uh, well, for instance, we. Uh, one of the reasons uh, the inspiration for Tyler and I, Tyler and me, to start a podcast was a comedy podcast called Never Not Funny, hosted by Jimmy Pardo and produced by Matt Belknap, um, who used to actually record in this room that we're in right now. Um, and they have uh, a regular, like every four episodes, they have the same guest on. This guy, Pat Francis, whose wife owns the room we're in right now. <laughs> it's all oh, very Thank you, Pat. Anyway, um, they refer to him as the third chair. And so people who listen to Never Not Funny and to us have a couple of times nominated you for third chair status. My God, that's such a compliment. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much you and Josh Fadum are our two. <gasps> Josh Fadum? Yeah, who will be on next week. Well, you know what Josh Fadum and I have in common? What's that? We're both Oklahomans. That's right. You're both both Okies. I know. I love Josh. I, oh, yeah. I can fight him to the death, though. I think I'm, I think I have, I'm definitely taller than him and I might have more muscle. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, he eats a lot of cookies. He's really manic, actually. He would probably go for my jugular. I think he. Could, I think in a fight, he would probably win just out of sheer desperation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listeners know that he's he's manic. We do a regular. Um, he'll be on twice in the next month or so because he's filling in for Tyler next week, and then we have a, a yearly summer summer movie preview episode with Josh, Wait, is which is mostly him just saying everything is boring and looks dumb. Is he going to sit in the chair that I'm sitting in now? Uh, he's going to sit in that location in the room. I don't know where the chairs will be. Other people use this room. Because I was going to, you know, maybe break a leg off of it. <laughs> Loosen some screws. Well, since my friend Pilar is letting me use the room for free, I'm going to ask that you don't <laughs> do not do that. Okay, but mentally, Josh, this seat's mine. Yes. Uh, okay, yeah. That's, that's Okay, sorry. I should say to the listeners, I'm a, little, uh, a lot under the weather uh, and a bit harried because I was out of town for a week. Uh, so sorry about that. But Amy, it's been 
about when you, you were on in January, I think. Uh, January, yeah, the end of the month, I think. Yes, yes, and we because we were we were talking about the upcoming the Oscars and and, and movies from the end of. 2012 and we talked about how we both liked Jack Reacher <laughs> quite a bit and it got you know lost buried amidst the uh, the awards movies what have you seen how has 2013 been for you cinematically I think 2013 has been a decent year for meathead action films and I'm a gigantic fan of meathead action films well yeah well we, we both liked Jack Reacher but you liked The Last Stand which I didn't I did well that's because I don't I think you have a very low tolerance for headshots I mean I, I think I might have been one of the few people who enjoyed G.I. Joe the new one I think that uh-huh. that the director John Chu has like you could because he comes out of dance movies he has a really lyrical way of shooting action that I enjoy a lot uh-huh. uh, I saw Oblivion and the problem is there's not enough punches in Oblivion even though I love Tom Cruise and my love for Tom Cruise will never die I do not blame you I'm should, a fan of Tom Cruise. I should probably warn your readers right now because they don't have vision since this is voice and I'm wearing my Tom Cruise Top Gun jacket. Yeah, yeah. I sewed all the patches on myself a couple of weeks ago because I've become a super fan. Uh, yeah. So you, so you recently become a super fan of Tom Cruise? I recently did. I just got commissioned to write a book about Tom Cruise. That's and awesome. so I've plunged into the deep end of Tom Cruise. I watched Interview with a Vampire twice today. How does that hold up? I haven't seen that in a long time. You know, okay. To be truthful, I've watched it three times in the last four days. Today was just a a twofer. Mm -hmm. The first time you watch it, it looks like high camp. And then the second time you watch it, it seems a little richer. And then the third time you watch it, Tom Cruise is amazing. Like, that's the weird thing about all of his movies. You have to watch them three times to realize he's acting. Yeah, I I don't know that I agree. I... I because um, I like him as an actor. Maybe I've seen enough of his films that I go in trusting him as an actor. So I, I usually see that he's doing something good. I hear you. I think maybe what we might agree on is that he makes it look so effortless. Yeah, yeah. That he's good, but it's hard to see what he's doing that makes him good. So is is Top Gun your favorite Tom Cruise movie? Is it Interview with the Vampire? It tends to be whatever chapter I'm doing right now. Okay. So last week it was Born on the Fourth of July. Okay. Uh, this week it's Interview with a Vampire. Next okay. week I start plunging into Jerry Maguire, which might be my favorite actually. Is of it his, of his of his movies, and maybe my favorite, maybe my favorite Cameron Crowe movie as well. Really, that's high praise. I mean, Cameron Crowe has a ton of good movies. Do you think so? Well, yeah. I mean, I even like Vanilla Sky though. I like Vanilla Sky, but I'm not a fan of Almost Famous, which I know a lot of people are. I'm okay with it. I really think Kate Hudson gets a bad deal. I know that she people loved her there, and I feel like ever since people haven't treated her fairly. Also, I'm a little biased because Cameron Crowe follows me on Twitter for no reason I can ever figure out. <laughs> and I check every month to see if he's still following me on Twitter, and he is. And I can't imagine what he gets out of it. Because I just post... you. We follow each other. I just sure, post yeah. pictures of my cats and food. It's delightful. It's delightful, yeah. Those are the, the, the two things that people complain most about like on Instagram, food and pets, are my two favorite things about Instagram. <laughs> I, will like, I will like any picture of a pet as long as there's not too much of a person in it as well. If it's like a person holding their pet, I'm like, I'm not liking that. That's very mean. Just get the people out of there. I actually just started following somebody this week whose handle is only cats and food. <laughs> and so far she lives up to it, although it's more food than cats. Yeah? Yeah. Is that a disappointment? She makes her own waffles, and they're always amazing. She did these smoked macaroni and cheese waffles. Wow. Yeah, so from that, I'm just, I'm in. I had, we'll bring in the guests in a second here. I had a burger recently at uh, the Oinkster in Eagle Rock. I don't know if you've been out there. but they I had, haven't, but I've heard that it's amazing. They had, for the month of March only, so you've missed it, a burger, a cheeseburger that also had pulled pork and mac and cheese on it, in addition to a slice of cheese. And it was Whoa, fucking cheese? amazing. Yeah, it was really amazing. Uh, I, I hope they bring it back. Anyway, now, you are the guest host. 
Uh, and as with uh, listeners know, a couple weeks ago, we had Susan Burke on as guest host, and she brought in her friend, A.J. Bowen, who I think you guys actually oh, know, because he AJ. showed me some Instagram pictures of you guys. Oh, um, no. I hope they weren't scandalous. No, they, were, they were just, uh, you know, smiling. Uh, no pets or food, so it didn't, you know, register too much with me. Um, you have brought on a guest. So as guest host, would you like to introduce him? I will. I brought on my best friend. He's a gigantic goon. Uh, he's known as being an opinionated loudmouth who might be an asshole, but I think he's the sweetest person in the world, so I'm going to ruin his rep right now. I brought in... <laughs> I brought in Devin Faraci from Badass Digest. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for coming to Battleship Pretension. Well, thank you for having me aboard. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of more puns again. <laughs> My head's full of mucus. Um... So I, how, I should. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I cut you off. I was just going to say that Devin and I on Friday went to Disneyland for his very first time. Really? Yeah. What was your favorite part? Uh, you know, I think uh, Space Mountain. Yeah. Uh, which we rode four times in an hour because they kept Tomorrowland open until one a.m. because we were very special VIP people. Ah. And so we got to ride uh, Space Mountain a gazillion times. It was terrific. Pretty incredible. I'm not sure what the weather was like. Did you go on Splash Mountain? We didn't. We didn't because we didn't really think about it until like 5 o'clock p.m. No, it was later. It was like 8 o'clock p.m. Actually, it was dark. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I almost convinced him to go on. I was going to go and just watch him from afar and laugh (laughs) because it looked like there was a chance he could go and be on a a toboggan all by himself. (laughs) Yeah, there were a lot of empty boats that were coming by. Sure, at that time. It would have been just me by myself getting freezing cold and wet, so. I photo op, but I, I, I wimped out. I rode, the, I rode uh, Splash Mountain on Christmas Eve at, uh, in the dark once, and it was fine. I, I did fine. I think if you sit far enough back here. But I, I love Splash Mountain for some reason. Uh, it's not you know the most exciting ride, but I think in terms of the like. Uh, what do they call it? like the engineering and the building of the of the world and the and the animatronic stuff? Like I really like that you're in the dark and and it seems really well built out and, you, and there's a little story to to Splash Mountain that doesn't necessarily make sense, but uh, that's that's my personal favorite. We found uh, I think I can speak for both of us. We found uh, Star Tours to be really uh, disappointing a little bit because we got to ride Star Tours because again they closed Tomorrowland off except for this VIP group. Wait, are you really are hammering home this VIP thing, because Devin? I feel like it's really important people know that. I'm I'm new to the show and I don't know exactly how important I am and the answer is very very <laughs> so anyway anyway uh, we got to go on twice back to back more or less and uh, it, you know this thing they talk about is how there's like 13 different planets and 52 different variations and how the thing plays out we got the exact same thing twice in a row really and it makes you not want to go for a third time to see what the other planets are because it's like well what if we get Hoth again and it's just not you know it was kind of disappointing yeah I went um so you obviously hadn't been on the the former Star Tours. Not been on the former Star Tours, no. He was um, actually a Disney hater up until last week. A hater of Disneyland or Disney just as a whole thing? I, you know, I, I was never a hater. I never understood the people who have uh, the annual pass and goes like six times a year. Oh, I, I that's too bad my absent co-host is yeah, not here because that's I what never, he does. I never got that. And after having gone, um, I still don't get it. Uh, it was <laughs> a lot of fun. I had a really nice time. I could do two days there because we didn't get a chance to ride everything. But, did uh, you do um, California Adventure as well? We did a little bit of California Adventure. We did, I've although, never even been there, actually. Oh, it's so amazing. We did Soarin' Over California. We didn't get to do Tower of Terror because the line was just too long. Mm-hmm. But kind of the best part was like we went and we did Soaring Over California. We did Space Mountain. And then we did, um, which what was the third one? The Matterhorn? The Matterhorn. The Matterhorn. And that was all Friday night. Saturday morning, they declared those three rides dangerous and shut them down. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so far, we're the last people to ride Space Mountain, I think. I'm not sure if it's reopened or not yet. I don't think it has. 
uh, do you know if you time the Matterhorn just j- just right at 9 p.m. every night when they do the uh, the fireworks, you can be sort of ratcheting up that initial slope and facing like the fireworks directly, and then you start the oh, roller coaster. I'd love to see the fireworks. That sounds I'd like facing God. Because I didn't get to see the fireworks because Amy's a type A part goer, personality part goer. I'm yeah. basically so. your typical evil 1950s dad. And so she was dragging me running almost to the park at 9 o'clock. Everybody else is staring up at the sky. I can hear the explosions, see the colors of the lights playing on the trees. She is running through the crowd to get us to Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh. And she is just like, she's like, hurry up, we have to go, we have to go. And she's always five steps ahead of me because she is just booking. She's a type A park personality. I had him on one of those little kid leashes attached to his little teddy bear backpack. And even then, he was a nightmare. I had to keep choking him. <laughs> my uh, my parents, when I was growing up, they'd take us to Six Flags maybe once a year uh, in St. Louis. And they were, it was kind of type A in the same way, but it was mostly about them being, like, frugal and thinking, like, we're going once a year. Six Flags is, you know... Uh, for a family of you know four kids, it's, it's expensive. We're going when the park opens at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. We will not leave until the park closes, and so we would do sort of like go like counterclockwise or around the park, and then it'd be we'd be done. It'd be like 8 p.m. and be like, all right, what do you want to ride again? Because we're staying until the park closes because we paid for a day. See, I think your parents sound like really reasonable people. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, she's a Taipei Park personality, but it made the experience better because we weren't there for as long as maybe we could have been. We had other stuff that had to be done professionally at the park um, and we got to do a lot of cool stuff because uh, Amy was really good about like hitting the fast pass and stuff like that so ah. it really was where did you eat? Uh, we ate at California Adventure on the wharf I oh, had okay. the Chinese and she had the Mexican we also had the world's best corn dog oh, earlier oh because the corn dog oh. at Disneyland is like the greatest one stick meal Really? Time. The corn dog is bonkers. Yeah, I mean, like, and I thought she was overplaying it because she likes to eat a lot of Seven Eleven hot dogs, so you can never tell. It's tasty, <laughs> uh, but the corn dog is the real deal. Yeah, I feel like I don't like to eat a lot of Seven Eleven hot dogs, and yet I do. That just seems like it's a thing that happens. Yeah, I, I live near a Seven Eleven. That's like what like a lot of murderers say. <laughs> I didn't. I don't really want to kill these people, but I just keep doing it. So Devin, let's let's get to know you a little. Uh, Amy, Amy mentioned Badass Digest that started in, I want to say, two thousand nine, twenty ten, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's like two and a half years old now, something like that. Yeah. Um. So how how did it how did it come about? Uh, I had done a bunch of years writing for a site called Chud dot com. Sure. And uh, I was coming to the end of my tenure there. It was uh, it was finishing up uh, around me. And I had made friends with a guy named Tim League, who uh, runs the Alamo Draft mm-hmm. House chain of theaters. And Tim and I had become tight. And I was uh, out someplace, and I got a phone call from Tim out of nowhere. And Tim's like, hey, I'm in a car driving through Texas, and I had an idea. Do you want to start a website for me? Like, and I said, what kind? He said, well, you know, uh, a nerd lifestyle website that sort of can get the Alamo brand out there a little bit farther. We're going to be going more national in the coming years. And sort of a thing that gets across the idea of what we like, which is like, you know, weird movies, having fun, having beer, having a good time, uh, and being smart. Uh, and so he's like, do you want to do this? And I, I, I said, let me think about it, and immediately said, of course. And uh, we started the site, um, and it's been going pretty well since then. Uh, I, I like what we do because... Um, we're a little more niche. We're not looking to cover every single Captain America rumor. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to do all that stuff. We're hopefully talking about movies that we care about a little bit more. Uh, we're hopefully bringing a little bit of a different perspective. And uh, also, we understand that you're a movie nerd. It doesn't mean that all you do is movies. 
Uh, so there's, right. you know, hopefully there's sort of that aspect to it as well. We do a lot of wine and beer coverage and some food coverage and stuff like that. So uh, I, I kind of love it. I'm, I'm having the time of my life. Uh, I am also a big fan of the, of the website. Um, well, thank you. Now, how, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from New York City. Okay. And uh, did you did you go to did you go to school to be a uh, a writer? Did you go to film school? No, I uh, fell out of college. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you you have to tell them a full story of you failing out of college. Really have to. You have to. Uh, I had a zero point zero GPA uh-huh. uh, in my freshman year of college, and uh, my state school asked me not to bother coming back with a GPA as low as that. Uh, the only other person I know of who has a GPA that low is D Day from Animal House. So uh-huh. I will I'll take that. Um, uh, and so I found. He, well, he went on to be Time Cop's boss. Exactly. So he really had a future, right? Uh, so I fell out of college, and I kind of bounced around for a while. And I decided what I wanted to do is I wanted to be um, I wanted to be an activist. I wanted to be Abby Hoffman. Uh-huh. And I started uh, working uh, for a nonprofit called the New York Public Interest Research Group. And I was doing community organizing. I did some years at AmeriCorps. I did community organizing at AmeriCorps. And then I went back to NYPIRG. Uh, we did environmental work. We did good government work. We did all that kind of stuff. And eventually I worked my way up in the organization from the field to the main office where I became the editor. Uh, so I was writing and editing all of the membership stuff. I was writing the magazine that went out to members. I was writing fundraising letters, all this kind of stuff. And I was sitting in the office. And the thing was that I had um, a field background. I was used to being out 16 hours a day working, like you know, going to meetings, knocking on doors, doing all this stuff. And I'm in the office, and I found myself with nothing to do all the time because I had this crazy schedule I'm used to. And I began uh, visiting Chud.com. Uh, I began visiting uh, coming to, uh, Corona Coming Attractions uh, was the first site that sort of caught my attention. And then it was uh, from there, it was Ana Cool and Chud. Mm-hmm. And Chud had a really great message board at the time. And back then, it was sort of the message board where all of the guys who were movie website guys were hanging out. So they'd all come, and Drew McWeeny would show up, mm-hmm. and uh, Garth from Dark Horizons would show up and just shoot the shit. And it was really great. And I kind of got involved in that. And um, one day, the guy who ran, ran Chud, Nick, said, I have an invite to a, a press junket in New York. Like, I, I can't go. He's, he's, he's in Atlanta. Do you want to go? And it was uh, Woody Allen. Uh, Woody Allen. <laughs> and I said, yes, I would love to go meet Woody Allen. So my first junket, I went and I met Woody Allen. I did that and began writing for the site. It slowly evolved over time into a part-time gig that then became full-time. I left uh, the New York Public Interest Research Group, went full-time doing this. A couple of years later, I moved out here because it made sense to be where the action is. And uh, then came Badass Digest, and it's uh, all just blue skies from here. Um, do you like Los Angeles, or do you miss I like New Los York? Angeles a lot. Yeah, I feel like a real traitor saying that, but it's beautiful. The weather's unbelievable. Um, you know, there are awful people in Los Angeles, uh-huh. but the key is just not to go where the awful people are. It's as simple as that. Just find the places that you like, that have people that you like, and go there. I've made unbelievable friends in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I love it, yeah. Uh, and did you did you love it right away? Because I, I, was, I was warned when I, when I moved out here that it takes a while. And it did take me, I think, about a year and a half. I moved, I'm from St. Louis. I lived in Chicago. I spent the first year and a half just missing Chicago. And then uh, I think I, I, I made an effort to go out and see more of right. more of the city and, and learn how it works, because uh, I think you do have to put a little more into Los Angeles than you do a city like Chicago or, or New York. I've only visited, never lived. But uh, how long did it take you like, to like Los Angeles? I kind of fell in love right away. The thing is, and this is going to be like the douchiest thing. I mean, I'm going to say a lot of douchey things tonight, but this is like the first the great <laughs> douchey things, is that um, I had fallen out of love with New York City because um, post Rudy Giuliani, New York had gotten cleaned up in a way that it was not the city I had grown up in anymore. 
And so the city I grew up in, it was weird. I was living in New York, and I was homesick for New York. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't the town I grew up in. And I found myself living in a city where all my friends were people from out of town all of a sudden. Do you know what I mean? All my friends from New York had gone off and done other things and left the city or whatever. And here I was hanging out with mostly Texans for whatever reason. Uh, and I just, it wasn't the same city I, I, I used to know. And, and, and I was ready to leave. It was done. Uh, and so when I got here, um, I came in the summer. I had the best experience because I hired a mover to help me move in. And, um, which, I, by the way, everybody should do this. This is the, this is the key no matter, I don't care if you're like 19 years old and first getting started. It's worth like the 75 bucks to get some guys from the back from Craigslist to carry your stuff around. It makes such a difference in moving. So anyway, I hired a mover and um, he's moving me in, and he's this enormous black guy. And he's like, "Your name is Devin Ferracci, right?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "You write for a site called Chud.com?" I said, "Yeah." He says. I directed a vampire movie, and you guys gave it a really bad review. <laughs> and this is the ultimate Los Angeles thing. The guy who directed a shitty vampire movie that we, that we panned is moving me into my apartment. So right from there, I was like, all right, well, this, this is pretty okay. I can, I can make it here. Wait, is that thanks to you? Did you ruin his I life? I didn't review the movie. I didn't do the review. I just He just knew my name from the site. You're probably lucky. I mean, I would like to think that if you had reviewed it, he would have dropped a couple of your lamps. Super nice. He was super duper nice. Um, he was a good guy, and he was a terrific mover. Well, good. I'm glad he has a career in that. I'm glad he at least got one good review from you. <laughs> I actually did give him a good review because I got him from the U-Haul site. The U-Haul site has like a section where you can hire movers and stuff like that, and then you go and review them. It's like, and, and I gave him like five stars. So, yeah. <laughs> did you mention the movie? I did not mention the movie. I, did not. I wish I remember the name of the movie. Um, man, well, it's probably great. best that you don't. <laughs> um, I, have, I don't know if I've asked you. Do you? Uh, how much do you? You seem. You seem based on your Instagram uh, 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 feed, I guess, Amy, to, to like Los Angeles quite a bit. Oh, I love it. I love it. I think I felt at home. The second I got off the airplane, it was really strange. Wow, that is, yeah, that was not my experience, but I love it now. I know you and I fairly recently, again, based on Instagram, uh, crossed, <laughs> ba- just barely missed each other at the Bahuka in the last, That's the last right. couple weeks. Uh, I was posting pictures of that big fish, and then I like, I got home and I was on Instagram, and I was like, oh, I must have just. Just you must have just missed me. We had to pay our respects to Bahuka. That, that uh-huh. Bahuka is an ancient tiki bar that just got shut down for remodeling. How? Which so many movies got shot there? Yeah. Well, um, the, I think the one that sticks out to me is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. The tiki bar they go to is right. Is right. Bahuka. Like if you picture that they go into a tiki bar and it's covered with fish tanks, that is Bahuka. Yeah. So we had to go and like say goodbye. They have one fish who's been living there for thirty years or something. Yeah, and his name's like. Rufus, or Rufus. Something? Yeah. yeah, Rufus, yeah. but it's not even spelled like Rufus. It has two F's for some reason. <laughs> no, I, I love it. Like, the analogy I always use is, like, as soon as I stepped into L.A., I felt like I was in a bath that was exactly my temperature. Hmm. And I mean, it wasn't easy for sure. Like, I was sleeping on a living room floor for the first six months because I was, in, I was interning at the L.A. Weekly and making zero money. Yeah. Um... And, you know, coming from, like, a small town, I went to Oklahoma, to Norman... So coming from like a small town where you knew everybody cool that you wanted to know to like a gigantic town where nobody knew who you were and like having to build friends from scratch, mm-hmm. that was the hardest part. But it was always the town itself. I knew that I, I knew that I fit here. Huh. I found this a very difficult place to be broke, uh, which I was really? for a long time. When but Seven Eleven hot dogs with tax, they're a dollar fifty-two. 
That's true. Uh, I, I think maybe it's because my first place was practically in the shadow of a Gelson's, and that just was like rubbing it in that people here have money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. I didn't shop at Trader Joe's for my first two years here because I was on food stamps the first couple months, and I was so bitter that Trader Joe's wouldn't take food stamps that out of like pride, even when I could afford groceries, uh-huh. I refused to go there. Do they still not take food stamps? I don't think they do. That's I, I, I Granted, now I do all my shopping there because the irony is they're still cheaper than most places. Uh-huh. Uh, but they're, they're had a lingering sort of blue collar resentment towards them for being snobs. Wait, why not? Uh, it's like it's like living in Soviet Russia. It's like you go in, it's like Trader Joe's mac and cheese, and that's what you get. That's it. There's no choice. And so I can't. I just don't like that. Like I like to be able to walk into the supermarket and look at the aisle and go, I like this box of mac and cheese better than this box. But at Trader Joe's, yeah. just that frozen pizza. That's it. Nothing else. Yeah. Well, what you're saying is that you like the the dichotomy of false choice in a grocery store. They're all made by the same brands, anyways, and you're just picking something based on a box. Why not just pick a box you trust? But there's still more choice at a at a, at a if, like I, I go to Trader Joe's to get stuff like a you know staples or if i'm going to make something like a, a pre-made meal but if i'm actually getting ready to cook a meal there's no way i'm going to go to trader joe's because they they only they only have an eighth of the spice choices that a real grocery store has for instance there's a there's a lot more there's real choice at a ralph's that's or, true. A, or a pavilions yeah see see <laughs> i i can hear that i can hear that i think we kind of do the same thing i'm like a staple trader joe's shopper like uh-huh. i will buy i will fill my entire fridge with frozen peas from there they have like the best <laughs> cheapest frozen peas in the world uh, but yeah, if I'm just jotting out for something, like, I remember when Trader Joe's wouldn't even sell you one apple, you had to buy four apples, and that drove me insane. <laughs> the Trader Joe uh, pasta sauce is straight up garbage, by the way. I don't even, don't even go in there. As a Sicilian, you're allowed to make that statement. If I'm, if I'm lowering myself to buying uh, jarred sauce, which I do all the time, uh, yes, I can say that. I can make that statement. Um, now... Uh, I, I, I like to ask people uh, about their sort of movie history. How did you, how did you come to be uh, a movie buff, a cinephile, or, or what have you? And, and what, what sort of movies initially grabbed you? And what do you like now? I always had this thing. Uh, it goes hand in hand with a nerd. Uh, is that I feel like it's not. It feels like it's a, it's an it's an affliction. Uh, uh-huh. I was born like this. You know what I mean? Like it's like there was no. I don't know how I ended up like this because I always was. Um, I always liked movies, and I always liked Spider-Man, and I always liked, you know, space things. So, like, it was always been there. Um, as a kid, I remember uh, I was lucky to sort of be young at that point when the, 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 the mom-and-pop video store was big. Mm-hmm. And we had some really great video stores in my neighborhood. And as a kid, I was really drawn to horror stuff. I, mean, I still am, but as a kid, I really was. I was the kid who walked into the horror section and just went tape by tape down the, the, the thing and rented everything. Uh, I would go to Fangoria conventions. I was really involved. I was, uh, my friend and I used to do like home makeup effects. We wanted to like make our own horror movies. We'd have like big gashes and ones. I went to um, my uh, senior year of high school, my high school mixer, I went to all boys Catholic high school, uh, and we had a mixer with the sister school, and it was Halloween, so I came dressed as a guy who had been run over by a truck. And one of the brothers pulled me aside and was like, no girl's going to want to dance with you because your eyeball's hanging over your cheek. And I was like, brother, this is Halloween. That's what supposed to look like. I don't want to dress up like something cute. This is Halloween. Um, so that was always like sort of like my shtick. And, uh, Wait, your brother was worried that you wouldn't brother, get... Brother, brother. It was an like all-boys Catholic school. Yeah, was, yeah. Not a brother, yeah, not no, brother. I, brother yeah, like, I know, the brother, brother. That's what I'm saying. A priest was worried you wouldn't get any action? Yeah, they were pretty cool. It was a pretty great, it was a pretty great high school. Uh, and it was a pretty good order of Maris brothers. They were pretty cool. Did you prove him wrong? No. I had an eyeball hanging down. Are you kidding me? No. Um, so I was really, you know, really into that. And uh, the thing that 
so I was super into that. I was super into horror movies. I was super into science fiction and fantasy, all the nerdy stuff. Um, I was really into Star Wars back in the eighties. Like when Star Wars was like on hiatus, like in between all the expanded universe stuff started up. Like I was super into it then. Um, and then uh, Slacker came out, and that changed how I looked at movies totally. And all of a sudden, I realized, wait, you know, this is something different, and this is really cool. This speaks to me in a really different way than the stuff that I had been uh, watching and enjoying before. And uh, I've got serious about movies then. Uh, before, I had just been like the guy who that you go up to, like you know, in the office on the weekend, like, what plane? What should we go see? I was like the guy who, mm-hmm. well, you know, this one got a good review, but this one from the director, whatever, uh, Slacker. I was like, wow, this is, this is you know, it opened my mind in a, in a totally different way to how I approach movies. Uh, so I was a little bit late coming to that, because that was like 90, 91? 91, I think. So I was like 18 years old, and that really just opened, opened my eyes to a very different way of watching movies. So. And, and, and what, what, are you, what are your favorite movies now? Oh, I hate movies now. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, what are my favorite movies now? You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unanswerable question, right? Because... Um, it's different every single day. Uh, so, like, so sometimes I get up and there's a movie that I love. And sometimes I get up and I'm just sick of that movie already. So, I mean, like, it's... I always go back to, like, the one dumb answer that I just always give just to be able to answer the question. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, uh, which is a movie that I love because it hits me on every part of movies that I love. Is that it's a great horror movie. It's got amazing gore. Um, it's funny. And it has lots to say. So it hits me on every single possible level. So that, to me, is sort of the one. I've seen that movie a gazillion times. But, I mean... Um, that's a movie that improves, too. I feel like every yeah, time I, I watch it, I, I like I it I never get bored of watching it. I mean, it's, it, that's not, like, an exciting answer. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure I could come up with a really good Ozu or something like that to be really uh, bright. Uh, but that... It, it just... It, it straddles the entertainment and the smarts perfectly for me. It really uh, exemplifies what I like out of both of those aspects of going to the movies. Now, uh, uh, when Amy was introducing you, she mentioned your uh, sort of reputation for being opinionated, and I was wondering, in preparing to do this episode, if I if I should like get into some of the stuff that you like, some opinions you have that I disagree with. Yeah, let's do it. I mentioned the uh, off mic. I mentioned the mumblecore thing, but I also want to say, uh, this is me like throwing in the towel to begin with. But I am I'm sick, so I'm not sure how well I can actually defend my my point of view but uh it just because it did happen to come up a couple weeks ago i mentioned with aj bowen on he was uh we we, we talked about um we talked about mumblecore uh again i i'm not a, a listener so i'm not a big fan of that word and we talked about the um the thing with with joe swanberg at uh at fantastic fest beat the crap out of me, yeah. <laughs> i i couldn't I, I watched about thirty seconds of it. It was a little, it was a little uncomfortable for me to watch well, you both the no debate and the fight. Like, you have no idea what it was. I'm, I was I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so, whoa. let's let's talk about mumblecore. Okay. And I want Amy because I have never talked about this with you. How do you feel about that uh, genre or that externally applied label? I I like the label and I hate the genre. I know that, like Richard Brody from the Times is like railed against the label and says that it's dismissive. I think it perfectly captures it. Um, uh, the main thing I can say about Mumblecore is it's taken me several movies to forgive Greta Gerwig for Hannah Takes the Stairs, <laughs> and it's it's no coincidence that the movies I like her in are more the I'm going to get pilloried for saying this, but more like Arthur than um, Greta Gerwig in say Greenberg. I, 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 yeah, I didn't yeah. like Greenberg. Yeah, Greenberg is is a nightmare. I also, but I didn't like that one she did like last year that uh, that rom com that was the one about her and her worst. boyfriend breaking up. I can't remember what it was called now. Yeah, 
Wait, was she? Was it? Was it Lola versus? Was that her? Yeah, Lola versus. That was. Oh, that was dreadful. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like that one bit. But I mean, to me, the main problem with Mumblecore is just that I think it's a, a huge mood in search of a plot. But I think Devin can articulate that. Like Devin has like a masterful screed on it that I would like to hear. Well, it's funny because you know I, I just name dropped Slacker, and you could sort of make an argument that Slacker in a lot of ways is Mumblecore because it's highly improv, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's loosely structured. Uh, the thing about Mumblecore, I think, steps steps it apart from like say John Cassavetes or something like that, uh, which is a naturalistic feeling uh, kind of a, a filmmaking that's very personal, uh, small in scale. Is that Mumblecore is, I mean, and it's weird because I, there's a couple that don't, I think the Duplass brothers, I think, do it well, but mostly they're really boring, and they're really boring in a really specific way, which is that nothing is going on. And it's people, and I think it's one of the problems with actors being in charge of not just their dialogue within the scene, but sort of the entire direction of the movie, is that actors are not generally really that good at that. It's not, it's not what they're good at. And there's a reason why we like movies where people say things that are snappy where people say things that are funny, where there are plot devices that turn things around or make a difference. And Mumblecore movies um, so studiously avoid these things uh, in the supposed pursuit of reality. The reality is all these movies, that movie entrance that we were talking about, uh, every person in that movie, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I would leave the room. Like, if I was stuck in a room with these people and they're, like, at a party, like, uh, so, she was there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Look, like, oh, get the fuck out of here! Like, I, you know what? I have better conversations with my friends every single day of the week than I see in almost any of these movies. And maybe there is an entire swath of America that is drawn to the tedious ennui of twenty-five-year-olds who have nothing to say. But I definitely am not one of those people. Well, I think, uh, and no, in specifics, I disagree with you on entrance. <clears throat> but I think, uh, in the in the sort of macro, looking at the thing as a whole. I generally agree with you that um, most of these movies are not good in in that I think most movies are not good. Uh, but I, I, I think by dismissing the aesthetic as a whole, I think you're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because I think people like, obviously I like Entrance, but also people like Andrew Brzezowski and... Uh, right. I mean, some of his stuff that's alright, and I think, again, I think the Duplass brothers are the ones who do it right. Those are the, I think, like the, the puffy chair, I think that's, okay, that's right. This is good. This, sure. There's a story, there are character things that come come and go, There there's there's funny lines, there, there's interaction, it is people just sort of sitting around in an apartment all the time, um, and, and at least, you know, again, Cassavetes, it's people sitting around in an apartment all the time, but like, there's drama, there's back and forth, there's humanity, uh, and, 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 and a lot of, and Swanberg stuff, uh, you know, and uh, he beat me up, so uh, I get to say this. Uh, it's just it's it's tedious, and I'm not, the aesthetic. It's like saying I'm sick of found footage, like because found footage there may very well be more good found footage movies to come. Ninety nine percent of the ones that are made right now are, are unwatchably bad. So it's sort of the same thing. Like just because you know there are some great found footage movies, and there probably will be some more great found footage movies, but it's also actually you know what? found footage and and and, and Melcore are sort of the same thing because they're both. Aesthetics that appeal to people who don't have, who can't make movies, and so it's people who feel like they want to make movies, don't really know how, don't really know how to write a script, don't really know how to act, and so these are these are aesthetics that, are, that that appeal to those people. So I think we see a much higher percentage of garbage coming out of both of these aesthetics. It's true, and what's interesting is like that was sort of Swanberg's argument to the crowd when he got the crowd on his side was he was like. I make movies so that we can all make movies. Don't we all wish we could make movies no, and not have critics like Devin telling us we shouldn't make movies? Well, I shouldn't make movies. Like I don't want to make movies. Like I shouldn't be doing it. I'm not. By the I'm way, uh, amen to that because uh, I um, I'm so 
perplexed by certain, even like critics that I really like who also have aspirations to write or direct. It puzzles me. It seems like it's two completely different sides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and listen, if anybody out there is listening, I have a couple of ideas. You got some money. Let's talk about it. But I'm not really like I'm not I'm not I don't, I'm not the guy who has scripts in my drawer. I don't have any scripts. Right. And you don't have that that lingering, bittering resentment that people always accuse critics of having. Yeah. I mean, I have other bitter <laughs> resentments. I mean, that they're rich and they're having sex with hot girls all the time. That's I'm resentful <laughs> of all of that. But the making movies, not as much. I, you know. But to go back to the to the, to the mumblecore thing, I think um, the. The aesthetic to which you're uh, objecting, I, I don't even know that that's... Uh, th- this is my problem with the term mumblecore, is that it's being... The, the movies don't actually have as much in common as that term implies. I think it's it's externally uh, applied, and really that aesthetic is not necessarily as intentional as it is something that just like grew organically out of the technology that has allowed people to make films very fast and cheap. Uh, and again, that does make for a lot of bad films, but uh, I'll use the phrase again, I feel like you... Ter- throwing the baby out with the bathwater by reducing it all to one thing, this mumblecore thing. That's why I have a problem with the term. I mean, I can hear your part, but I, point, but I think part of the problem is that these people keep reusing the same cast and director, so it feels like this extended family, even if some of the quality is like better or worse. Like, but does, does that annoy you more in mumblecore than it does in like the Judd Apatow uh, clan? I would, I would sort of loop all of those together in a family as well, but... I, to make sure I don't sound 100% dismissive, if we're counting things like Hump Day as mumblecore, mm-hmm. I really... Hump Day's terrific. I loved Hump... I think, I think Hump Day's amazing. I think Lynn Shelton has a real voice. But I think, again, Hump Day also is a movie that has more of a backbone and more drive and more of a story to it than a lot of, a lot of other films. Exactly. In, in that, excuse me, in that aesthetic. I mean, not every film. Part of this also... I mean, for, for those at home, I go to film festivals, and so the stuff that I'm seeing in a lot of these festivals is like good Lord, please, we're 70 minutes in, is anybody going to come near a plot already? So, I mean, I have, like, maybe a lower tolerance because of that, because I end up sitting through an awful lot more stuff that never makes it, you know, into anybody's life. It's true. And kind of on that same note, at South By, I went to go see Joe Swanberg's new movie, whose name I'm completely blanking on, if any of you you guys remember. It has Olivia Wilde in it. Um, I know what it's called. Drinking Buddies. Drinking Buddies. Drinking Buddies. I half expected to hate watch it, and it's actually pretty good. But I think it's pretty good because he's veering slightly more towards the mainstream and having a vague backbone of a plot. Well, I and like he has better actors, than and he has better actors. actors. Speaking yeah. of, uh, it isn't just. I mean, it yeah. is High West, but it isn't just High West. Speaking of uh, the found footage thing, actually, um, Joe Swanberg's uh, part of VHS was the the only one I really liked in the Radio Silence one. I liked uh, Swanberg's VHS uh, segment was uh, the best segment, and uh, Ty West new movie by the way is me Mumble Gore found footage movie. Yeah. So he's really just, he's really roping it all into You're going to be there I'm opening looking, day. I still haven't seen Innkeepers, so. Oh, it's great. And that's, I'm literally looking forward to another Ty West feature because I didn't like his uh, part in, I didn't like his segment of VHS and I didn't like his segment in ABCs of Death very much at all. Both dismal. Uh, so I'm looking forward, uh, as a fan of Ty West, to, to, I'm looking forward to liking him again. Um, so okay, I guess we can retire the the mumblecore thing, but I I, I just wanted to, it does feel like I'm not that many degrees off from you guys. I think I'm just not willing to use the term or dismiss the whole thing, everything under that term. I think it's really sweet of you to say that, but I was kind of hoping this segment <laughs> would end with you punching Devin in the back of the head. <laughs> Well, they, I'd call ha- it, they call it pulling a Swanberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> twice in the back of the head. Um, 
You know, I mean, uh, yeah, throwing, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not convinced even the baby's that great. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, eh, we can get another one. Um, <laughs> she's still fertile. What about, uh, uh, I'll mention another guy who's been on the show, um, Aaron Katz, uh, who who, did, who made uh, Dance Party USA in Quiet City. And then the one I want to mention in particular is Cold Weather, which is, again, thrown in with this mumblecore thing, but it's a very plot-based movie. It's a, de- it's a detective story. Right. No, Cold Weather's good. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not always 100% on board with Cold Weather uh, aesthetic-wise, but it, it's, 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 it's fine, you know. Um, and again, I mean, I, I actually am a fan of labels. That's the other thing, is that I'm a big fan of labels. I huh. like it. Um, I'm, I'm the guy who likes to label musical genres. Like, I just... It, I'm not OCD, but I think it makes sense. I mean, like, it, there, there's a reason why we use labels. It's because it allows us to think about things and to associate like with like and to compare and contrast. So uh, I don't mind using the Mumblecore label because it's a fine label. And it grew out of a period in our labeling where everything was something core anyway. Uh-huh. So it, it fits, you know. Maybe we've aged out of it. I don't know. But, you know. Um, Maybe the films have to prove that they're no longer Mumblecore. Maybe they have to age out of it, which I think Swanberg is trying to do with Drinking right. Buddies. And certainly the Duplass brothers are... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely a cut above. Um, yeah, I mean, I see the point they're making about labels helping us, but I also think that labels put up uh, sort of intellectual walls between ideas and, and keep us from being able to think of things, to, to approach a thing from another angle, because you've already put it into this one little room. I mean, that's true... Um, but putting things into rooms also allows us to approach them, period. Uh, if we're not even willing to put a label on that aesthetic, then we're just going to sit around here and spend half of our time trying to talk about what is or isn't in that aesthetic, and then that becomes a tedious thing where it's like, well, that really isn't. Uh, that is sort of like that, but it isn't. And so if we have these labels and we know these things are all sort of in our genre, I mean, like, sure, not, you know, you know, acid rock, whatever, whatever that means. Like, uh-huh. it's helpful to have that when you say, like, that is not the same thing as heavy metal. Like, it's different. Like, it's helpful to have that. So, you know, mumblecore is certainly going to be very different than what you know David Mann is doing. Like it's very helpful for us to, on some level, have that. But it, there is a reductiveness to it, obviously. Um, but again, I think I think I think that having a starting point where everybody is saying, "Okay, this is red. That's my red. This is your red. We're, we agree that color is red. Great. Now let's talk about red." I think that's super helpful. I think that's a good point. And you know, by um, the way, on an anthropological level, I just learned this. Um, all societies don't have the same words for color or even what a color is, but everybody agrees on red. Really? Yeah. How, I mean, how do you mean? Uh, what I mean is, is if you show people a rainbow palette of every shade and ask them what is the color of red, their word for it, everybody picks the same shade. Like people don't have like light pink as a default or maroon as a I default. See. Okay, that makes sense. There's the same idea of red is constant in every culture. I've discovered that there's different colors. That I have boy color blindness, where I can't tell like a turquoise from a lake blue or whatever. So I'm excited to hear that red is. <laughs> it no is what. much so more than blue, much more than green. You can have those red guidebooks. They don't have to be for me. You can dig into. Well, them. I ate all the pineapple, so I might have to take you out up on that. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I was. Uh, oh, speaking of uh, labels and uh, heavy metal, it can get a bit ridiculous because I'm a guy who likes heavy metal, and I still often am listening to a band and not knowing what. Sub 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 genre they are metal when it's like all these crazy like uh, you know all these super drilled down crazy yeah. specific I kind of think that's fun um, but again I, I just I like that like I, I, I it comes from being I grew up as a, a punk rock kid and so uh, it comes from wanting things to be 
this is what this is, and everything else is not that. So I have that sort of a thing. It's the same thing with I think being a horror fan and stuff like that. You want to you want to know you, the, you know the boundaries because you've seen the boundaries. I mean, whether or not you can articulate them, you know this is punk rock and this thing is not punk rock. So it's that's I think natural to me. Uh, well, there's nothing more punk rock than declaring something to not be punk rock. That actually is the most punk rock thing. That's the funny thing is, there's nothing more punk rock than being like totally elitist about what is punk rock. It is the single punkest thing you can do. Um, I, I want to get into something else that uh, that I thought of while you, while you were talking. You, you were talking about 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 plot and be, that being something that you clearly uh, cherish as a as a as a film watcher. Do you have trouble with? Or, or do you do you dislike plotless movies that aren't mumblecore, like say uh, Mulholland Drive or, or or things like that? No, I don't. Mulholland Drive. Um, I guess when I say plot, what I mean is stuff happens. Uh-huh. Whether or not it's a strict narrative, stuff happens. You know what I mean? And, and in Mulholland Drive, plenty of stuff happens. And there are things that are happening that mean things that you can dig into, that you can think about, that you can sort of like work with. Um, it isn't just people kind of hanging around for 85 minutes, you know, sort of like getting brunch. Um, so I, I'm, I, I'm okay with stuff that's a little more. I mean, like I can watch you the recipe all day. I mean, like what's the, we talk about the plot of Holy Mountain. <laughs> uh, but it's it's brilliant and it's incredible to watch. You know what I mean? So I'm not one of those guys who's it's gotta it's gotta have a like a hard. I, I don't need the three acts. I don't. Need, I, I, in fact, I hate the three act structure. Um, and I don't even mind you know any of that stuff. I just it, something has to happen. I guess that's the way I want to describe it. Something has to occur, whether it be plot wise or character wise, or whether it be something spiritual or metaphysical, or whether it be something just unbelievably cinematic. Something has to happen within the confines of the movie. Otherwise, I'm not sure why I'm there. There was a film that played at Sundance three years ago, and it was like in the next section. So this is not like um, you know, this is, but it's a movie that's a um, it's a shot of guys sitting on a dock eating lunch, and it's an hour and a half of a slow zoom in, the still <laughs> image of guys eating lunch on a dock. Oh, it's a still image. <laughs> still image, yeah. Um, and you know. I don't know that I could do 90 minutes of that, but I, that's obviously not going for narrative. So I'm not going to uh-huh. go, well, this didn't, nothing happened. I, I understand what they're doing in, in that case. The cinematic experiment is interesting. Again, I don't know if I could do 90 minutes of that. I could do 10. Uh, so I'm not going to hold plotlessness against that kind of uh, installation-esque film. Right. Um, but a movie with characters that are interacting and doing things and that has a synopsis on the back of the goddamn DVD case. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I expect some semblance of a plot. You know? um, did you like, or see or like in you two, Amy, uh, The Loneliest Planet? Did you, either of you see that? I didn't see that, no. Okay. Because that's also a movie where very little actually happens, but the one thing that happens in the center that changes everything is a tiny moment that's a huge thing. And uh, uh, I thought the movie was amazing. I would would have liked to have gotten your opinion on it. I should have assigned it. Oh, that's <laughs> always very helpful. So what have you... Um, I'll ask what I asked Amy. How's your 2013 been so far cin- cinematically? What have you it's seen? It's all right. It's all right. Um, you've been to... You were at South by... Were, South and so, by. so you've seen um, more than I have, certainly. Yeah, I've seen some stuff. Um, there's some stuff coming up that I'm pretty excited about that I saw at those festivals. Uh, I thought that um, Spectacular Now... Uh, That's what I hear. Really, it's a teenager movie that really nails it, and it nails alcoholism, and it nails being a kid in a way that not a lot of other films do. I think Miles Teller is like. 
kind of incredible, and Shailene Woodley might be brilliant. I mean, like, huh. the two of them together are incredible. Um, I think they're both just the next generation. Like, I've been... Uh, what do I know Miles Teller from? What you I know, know him from Footloose. Uh, Footloose. He played he played the Chris Penn role in Footloose, if you saw that. I like, the goofy the redneck who learns how to dance. He His debut, his debut, which is crazy, was um, as the kid who kills Nicole Kidman's son in Rabbit Hole. That's, like, his first okay. screen role, and he's going toe-to-toe with Nicole Kidman. It's really intense. See, but now I feel like I really know who this kid is. Yeah, uh, the most recent thing he did, I sort of loved, despite everybody else, um, was 21 and Up. So 21 and Up or 21 and Over? Cause 21 and Over. Him. 21 and Over. Yeah, where I he did just, not like that. I loved it. He's the main kid in that. He's, well, he's the brunette kid, the sort of troublemaker, the oh, okay. instigator. Yeah. yeah. I just think he has this refreshing naturalist that I love. He is so smart and so direct, and he is just so present on screen. He did have a presence, and uh, once I got over the fact that I, I, I didn't like the screenplay, and you know what? I, I, there's like there's a there's a moment like in the third act of Twenty One and Over, and I was like, oh, that this just became a movie for a moment, and I'm into this, and then it was kind of over. But I I really didn't like the movie overall. No, but he's really got something. Like he was in Project X for like ten minutes. I didn't see that. And he all he does in Project X is he like shows up at a grocery store, buys some people some beer, and then hits some stuff with a baseball bat, and he's the best thing in the movie. <laughs> he's crazy. He's crazy. But anyways, yeah, he's in Spectacular Now, and I think this is when people are going to really sit up and take notice of who he is. He's got all of my money is bet on him and Dane DeHaan, as far oh. as like the next generation of kid actors. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, HBO's In Treatment has really had gave us Mia Vashikovska and Dane DeHaan. That, that's where I saw both of them for the first time, and they're two of my favorite young actors working right now. Uh, did you guys see Stoker? Speaking of Mia Vashikovska, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that movie a lot. And I liked it a lot. I hated every miserable, soul-sucking <laughs> second. But that's cool. We can't always be right. I loved it. We'll see. You know why? It's. I think. I think it has to do with what that movie fetishizes. You clearly are into the Top Gun era. I'm the, I'm the one with a pocket square and a, and a, and a Drake's tie. That's I'm true. obviously clearly more Stoker's uh, aesthetic wheelhouse. You're with the century, man. I'm at least up to the 80s. <laughs> Where are you? Yeah, when, when, when Stoker, when, when there'll be like long shots of like his, his his duffel bag, you can practically count the weaves in it, and she's like pulling out, fetishistically pulling out those sunglasses. Like that stuff is so up my alley. That's exactly my aesthetic. I just thought it was so frosty. I think that if the movie had started, say, in the middle, right, when she, like, first really gets excited about her uncle in the shower, and then proceeded from there and didn't end where it did, if that was the movie's, you know, first act, I would have been on board. Well, I have a problem with the movie's ending. I I think it's a little on the... I'm not really psyched about where it goes because it feels a little conventional, but that shower scene, that is the... That's a pivotal moment of the picture. I mean, that's yeah. that's an unbelievable scene, and I think to start there sort of robs the build-up. Not to start there, but if that had been like say the end of the first act, okay. I still feel like you need that build-up. You need that. There, it's that what the reveal in that shower scene is so un is so great that what she's doing. I don't want to spoil it, I guess, because this right. is a picture that did not get seen as much as it should have, and people can probably catch up with it on home video is so shattering because of what has come before because everything that you think you understand about her uh, changes and the movie becomes so much more creepy and perverse in that moment it's oh it's great i i I agree with you on what you're saying about that moment but i think the problem is everything that comes before is for the most part incredibly tedious 
And I find her to be a very boring character because she's just so passive and she just sort of sits around and things happen to her. And like the biggest action she does is like refusing to do action. It's like, no, I won't take a ride with my uncle in a car. She doesn't do much. And she, to me, I only liked Mia Wasikowska's character once you actually saw some sort of life in her. And then as soon as she actually comes to life, then the movie ends. Right. And to me, that was a big bummer. Like, I want to see her actually go full on. Although I will say, Nicole Kidman in that movie, phenomenal. Yeah, better than she's been in, I didn't see Rabbit Hole, Since but Paper a long Boy. time. Yeah. So, oh, I didn't see Paper Boy either. <laughs> Are you not a fan? I, I didn't see it, but she just likes to get somebody gets peed on. <laughs> right, that's the whole thing about Paper Boy, right? She no, the whole thing about Paper Boy is that Nicole Kidman is sexy and fearless for the first time since To Die For. There's no way that Nicole Kidman qualifies as sexy anymore uh, because she's done too much to her face. She's not. She's not quite. That's why she's great in Stoker. Actually, is because she's playing a woman who has would have done far too much work on her face and who was frozen in place. And I find that such a disturbing thing that she's done to herself. I mean, like so disturbing. Uh, like that. I, I I can't get past that. I can't. I agree with you, but it's sort of what you're saying that makes her so good in Paperboy. Because she's playing a woman that is sort of like a faded beauty who's like still incredibly sex- sexual and like really damaged. Well, I may be doing a Golden Showers film festival, so if I if I do that, I'll include that episode of Friends where they pee on Monica because she gets stung by a jellyfish. <laughs> what what else goes in that? What else goes in a Golden Showers uh, film festival? Good question. I'm trying to remember. There's some. There's now, does it have to be on a person? Is that the thing? That's a Golden Shower. That would be right. That would be the yeah. Um, because I think is it shortcuts has Huey Lewis urinating full frontal shot, but it's not on no, a person. Somebody. There's a couple of comedies. I feel like one of the American Pies stiffler pisses off on a roof on somebody. Uh, oh, that uh, Dirty Work certainly has uh, work. has uh, Artie Lang pissing on a there's guy. There's a couple of uh, creepy exploitation pictures from the '70s. Uh, some women in prison. Some uh, Jess Franco stuff where there's like stuff that's not intended to be comedy that really is intended for the Times Square audience to get off on so I'll <laughs> well if you put this film festival together I'm excited because then it means Paperboy will be the best film in it and people will be forced to agree with me that it is an uh, unappreciated masterpiece <laughs> we'll see what we can do uh, now um, I was uh, as you were Devin because I follow you on Twitter I was recently at WonderCon and uh, uh, I, I was I was following you and 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 tracking both on Twitter and and, and on Badass Digest. Pretty weird. Your excitement for pretty weird. I was tracking your excitement for okay. Pacific Rim. <laughs> yes, yes. Now you you mentioned um, uh, growing up and and being sort sort of uh, uh, nerdier uh, sort. I, I don't know what the word I, where it is because I was. Uh, I don't know what to call it. I was definitely not a popular kid, but I don't have the cred in terms of, like, I wasn't into sci-fi or comic books or video games growing up. Um, now, the part of me that loves Guillermo del Toro is so excited that he's made a movie that he's been given a huge budget and, and a lot of leeway. But the part of me that was never a nerd does not get the appeal of giant robots fighting giant monsters. So... Can you explain it to me and the uh, more uh, snobby, pretentious elements of our audience that I represent? It's fascinating because I did. I grew up uh, and I saw you know every Godzilla movie. This is one of those things you grow up and you're watching on Channel Five in the afternoon. It's just on. You know what I mean? Like you just see all these movies. I was never the kid who was super into the Godzilla stuff. I you know um, I've seen them all, uh, but I was never super duper into them. But the appeal, I think, is a real basic one, which is it's one part destruction, one part wonder. 
it's great to watch these things stomping around the city, even if it's a little cardboard Tokyo. It's a lot. That's really fun. There's also a wonder that because these, especially the Japanese stuff, the designs were just so cool and interesting. Uh, you know, the one the one that I love out of that whole Godzilla original Toho cycle is Destroy All Monsters, which is uh, well, mostly set on Monster Island. It's got a ton of monsters in it, and that's what I like. I like the cool creature designs. Now I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, and I spend all day just going through, uh, you know, the the fiend folio and stuff, and, and checking out all the different designs and how imaginative and cool they were. I think that's a big part of it. I think that's part of what Gamera gets. Uh, Transformers doesn't have that. The designs Transformers are garbage. You can't really tell what's going on. Uh-huh. Uh, the Jaegers in Pacific Rim. They have uh, personality. They they each look different. They're, you can you can tell them by their silhouette. You know, and I think it's the same problem with all monster modern modern monster design. All the ILM stuff. They all look like plucked crabs uh, or, or plucked chickens mixed with crabs. I mean, uh, and, and you can't like if if I gave you a lineup of the silhouettes of cl- of great movie monsters and I threw the Cloverfield monster in there and the Super Eight monster in there, you would be like, what what is this? I don't even know what this is. Every other great monster has a silhouette. It looks the design is incredible. So. That sense of, 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 of destruction and awe and imagination, I think, is, is exactly what Guillermo del Toro was sort of made to bring to us. I think you really actually just made, you really just convinced me. <laughs> uh, that was a great argument because uh, that was my, well, first off, I want to say I like Super 8 dis- despite the uh, sort of lacklusterness of the monster. But that I think that was my, subconsciously my fear is that when it comes to, and I'm not a guy who writes off uh, CGI altogether. I, I think Peter Jackson, among others, has done great things. Um, but I, I think my fear was that if it's just giant robots and giant monsters fighting in the ocean, there's no human element. There's no one for me to relate to. But if if what you're saying comes across on the screen, then right. it well, will, the then I will these, like uh, it. These Godzilla movies is that always the humans are the least interesting part. You're always really irritated when it gets back to the human stuff. I don't think it's going to be like that in Pacific Rim. I think Guillermo is a great filmmaker and he's a great storyteller I think he's going to create a human story that we can go with Um, but I think it's also going to be I think he's going to make sure that we don't have too many scenes of Charlie Hunnam hanging out at base (laughs) thinking about how sad he is I think we're going to have plenty of scenes of giant monsters I've seen some I I was lucky enough to be on the set of Pacific Rim and I saw some of the designs of the different uh, kaiju and they're really all very different Uh, they all have personality they look great Uh, the other thing about this movie I think and I'm so going to overhype this. It's going to be ridiculous. But This will get me to my next question. Go ahead. It's, it leads me, it feels like if I was eight or nine years old today, this could be my Star Wars. It creates a world that is coherent, that is complete. Uh, the names of the of the of the of the Jaegers, uh, Cherno Alpha, Gypsy Danger. I want like if I'm a kid, I want that to be like my my, my instant messenger. I want to be Cherno Alpha seventy two. You know what I mean? It's cool, right? Uh, it, it, he uh, Guillermo has taken uh, uh, this thing. He's created an entire world that is sort of set on this concept that these giant monsters have been invading for a little while. So he's thought it out to a next level of what's it like to live there. But he's also not getting hung up on spending all of his time doing that and uh, so that's the thing that's great about Star Wars when you're a kid before Star Wars really blew out into every single character had his own spin-off novel and comic book this amazing guy would walk across screen and you go that guy's awesome and then you would just get to go home and say okay what was that guy about and think about it and imagine it he puts from what I know of Pacific Rim 
There's a ton of stuff like that in there. That's just this is the world. He thought it out. He just puts it in there to sprinkle, and you get to go home and think about it and imagine it. You don't have to go look up the reference book or whatever. It's it's there for you to cling on to and and, and immerse yourself in. Um. And here's where I'll sound like a hypocrite because I go crazy for Comic-Con every year. It's like my favorite time of year. But I also get really suspicious and wary of of hype. Right. And so as, uh, you, as a representative of the crowd who is really looking forward to Pacific Rim, are you prepared, mentally prepared for the possibility that it could end up being terrible? No, I don't think there's any chance. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm actually being serious um, because, I mean, he tweeted about it, so I feel comfortable saying this, that Ryan Johnson's seen the movie. And Ryan Johnson's no dummy. Uh-huh. I mean, Ryan Johnson's not a, 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 a fanboy. You know what I mean? He has sci-fi and and, and comic booky interests, but he's not a fanboy. Um, and he saw Pacific Rim and was blown away by it. And it was like, this is the real deal. So, is it going to be maybe the? Is will it be the best movie of the year? I don't know. You know, I'm not going right. to say. I'm not one of the guys. Oh, this is the best movie of the year. You better love it or not. I feel highly confident that I will walk into that movie and walk out of it and have at least enjoyed it. And I think it'll be a very good movie. Will it be the most amazing movie? Will it be for nine-year-old kids, their Star Wars? I don't know. I mean, I hope. I want it. I yada, yada, yada. I've, I, I've heard enough people who've seen it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to believe that the picture's good. Now, if um, the same thing happens that happened last year with the Avengers and uh, Amy ends up writing the first okay. negative review on Rotten well, Tomatoes... Just like we- last year, I'm going to have to write death threats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she forces my hand. Wait, that explains why everything can postmark from Los Feliz? Exactly. <laughs> I've, got, I've got my fake rice in all stored up. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I'm supposed to sit down with Joss Whedon on Tuesday. I'm wondering if he's going to remember. I'm not going to bring it up. You actually should. When Do you, you think so? Because you, you know what? When you get your uh, stuff for uh, Much Ado, I think that, you know, I, mean, I don't want to tell you how to do your job. You Thanks for job. not telling this me how to. No. This is how you should do your job. Okay, like Dad. Him about that and about, like, because he's in this world where he's a guy who has a really intense fan base who they react big. His point of view on that, I think, is interesting. You know what I mean? Like, that while he probably loves the idea that these guys are, like, defending the hell out of what he does, the idea that they're defending it like that. And they're also getting sexist about it because so much of right. his work is yeah. fairly yeah. feminist. Yeah. I'm very curious what his what his thoughts on that are. So just let me know. Yeah, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm afraid. I don't know if I have the courage, but we'll I, see. I would love he's to. He's a hear pretty it. all right guy. I think you're not gonna. He's a pretty all right guy. Um, I just don't want to set a timber for for an interview that that's a little off. You know. Unless I can end the interview thing. Yeah, maybe it'll be like I'll be like Matlock. I'll be like taking off. I'll be like. By the way. I think you're thinking of Columbo, by the way. Oh, Columbo. I was the one who said, <laughs> uh, one more thing. Um, yeah. I am, the, uh, by the way, that um, Joss Whedon fanboy, uh, but I didn't care much for The Cavern in the Woods. So uh, I, I was prepared, unlike you with Pacific Rim. I was prepared for The Cavern, for the Cavern in the Woods to not be good. I, I didn't think it was terrible, but I, 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 I didn't good, like it I very much. I had a good fortune to see Cavern in the Woods very early, about a year out, when they were still sitting on it. Uh, uh-huh. I loved it. I, I yeah, I've seen it like six times now. I, I just I, I uh, that sort of subgenre I I point to the, the the subgenre of the deconstructive horror movie I point to Scream obviously but also I'm a huge fan of Behind the Mask mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen yeah, that I'm quoted on the poster are you really? yeah, that's because I'm a VIP that's why I got to stay at Tomorrowland all night right <laughs> uh, well Behind the Mask is amazing and there was a, I think a Kickstarter to do a sequel there, I'm not sure what was, happened with that it was successful and I don't know what's actually happening with it yeah okay we had actually um, we had Nathan Basil on the show years ago who played Leslie Vernon mm-hmm. we should have him back for the sequel um, are you interested in Pacific Rim Amy I'm open to the idea. 
I'm open. I don't have my. But you're also up. prepared for the possibility that it could be horrible. <laughs> yeah, I was really not a fan of his, and I'm blanking on the name again. His movie about the little, really boring, boring girl who just took orders from giant frogs in the woods. Pan's yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. I couldn't well, stand well, Pan's wrong. Labyrinth. There, that movie's amazing. <laughs> I, as you're seeing with Stoker, I don't like films about really passive little girls who take orders from people and don't question what they're doing. And that's kind of the thread I see in both of them, at least in the first two acts. I find those films incredibly tedious. So the fact that there aren't little girls and it's Idris Elba and a bunch of monsters and robots, I'm open. That, that's, that's the most I can say. Uh, for me, uh, I don't know what film I'm most looking forward to this summer. I think probably Fast 6. Yeah. Yeah. I it's like- just not called. It's called Fast and Furious 6, right? You know, I'm cool like that. I'm not a VIP, but I'm like a step below, so I can just shorten shit however I want to. Okay. Yeah. But I just, I just, I just, I love wheels and I love car crashing and I don't like people talking about their feelings. Actually, that's all a lie. That's all a lie. You guys can't tell at home, but we've been drinking beer. Anyways. (laughs) Uh, I think, um, I, I, you know, I I joke that I'm not like a, or I don't joke, but I I say that I'm not like a a genre guy, but, uh, Two of my favorite, or two of my most anticipated movies of 2013 are are probably uh, Gravity and uh, The World's End because I think I think Edgar Wright is one of the most the greatest, most distinct voices working today in in cinema. Uh, are you guys looking forward to to those movies? Yeah, I am. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm excited to see what Edgar uh, does with this, uh, the conclusion of his. Uh, Blood and Ice Cream trilogy yeah. and Gravity I think it's one of those things where it's genre but it's like saying it's like I feel like Quaron has now hit a point where and he's not Kubrick but it's like well he's making a movie in genre but it's going to be great it's not going to be just genre he's going to do something with it I mean I think uh, he's a brilliant filmmaker uh, and the, the premise of Gravity is so fascinating uh, and seems so interesting that uh, yeah I think it's going to probably be great God I hope so <laughs> so what's uh uh, you know, I, I, we, we should wrap up pretty soon because we've gone over an hour here. But uh, I mentioned off off mic that the the only brief time I officially uh, not officially, but only met you before was at, at, at Comic Con, and I don't blame you for not remembering. But um, and I, but I mentioned Comic Con is a big deal to me. Is is it a big uh, a big thing for you, or or are you maybe have you grown jaded from covering so many Comic Cons? It's weird because I've done a lot of Comic-Cons now, and um, I've kind of come to realize a couple of things, one of which is that the only coverage at a Comic-Con, at least for what I do that's of any value, is sitting in Hall H and giving my opinion. That's all that matters. All the interviews and stuff like that, it's all garbage. It's just like everybody gets it. Somebody's going to get it up first anyway. That doesn't make a difference. My value in the world is my opinion. So giving my opinion on the Hall H presentations I think is a big deal. The other part of Comic-Con is great is I'm just drunk the whole time. So, yeah. I mean, um, I'm just loaded. Now, so, how do you stay in, maybe I'm giving away secrets, how do you stay in Hall H all day and stay drunk? Is there is this a flask situation? It depends on how much I give a shit. Because uh, sometimes I'm not going to be in Hall H all day because I've also sort of hit, i just done it long enough that I'm like, you know what, Like my friends are here and uh-huh. there's a presentation that I'm not dying to see. I'm dying to see it. I think it's really a big deal and it's really important. I'll go to the studio reps and I'll try to weasel my way in through them. I have other friends who can help me get in a little bit. Um, I don't like waiting in line. If I don't, if I, if I don't have to wait in line, I won't. Um, if it's just if I have to wait in line, maybe I'll just skip it. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, it's sort of a lazy. It's just like, eh, you know, it, it isn't that important. What's most important about Comic Con for me at the end of the day is to see the few things that I'm super interested in, and then to see my friends. Uh, yeah. Comic Con for me is largely a social event. 
I would I say can say that because I'm somebody who uh, my uh, Tim's going to hear this, and I'm going to he won't pay my way anymore. I I, I will say that um, as someone who doesn't, because I have you know a, a day job in addition to being a semi-professional movie critic and podcaster i don't get to go to sundance and south by southwest so comic-con is for certain like especially like new york uh film bloggers and stuff that the only time a year i get to see them is right. and that's how I, that's how i ended up at your, at your condo well, that's how all these night. things are for me i mean i've come to the point now where i'm old enough that um what i'm going to walk away from when i die is like did i have a nice time yeah. And I have good friends in this business, and it's nice to see them. So at Sundance, if it comes down to, am I going to see a movie or am I going to see a friend who I haven't seen in a year, it's more likely I'm going to go see the friend. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just my, you know, not, maybe this loses all my movie cred, but no movie is worth missing out on a friend if the movie's going to be out in five months anyway. You know what I mean? So I think that's a great place to, to wrap it up. Um Listeners, you can find me and my reviews and other people's reviews and links to all sorts of stuff at battleshippretension.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Amy, you're at the Amy Nicholson. I'm at the Amy Nicholson on Twitter. And you can find myself right now. I'm writing most frequently for the LA Weekly and the LA Times. Yeah, great stuff. Oh, I, like, okay. I've been, I'm like a week or two behind on everything because I was out of, out of town. But uh, the thing about the Tattoo Nation was awesome. Oh, hey, thanks. I, I, I got that. to interview Denny Trejo about tattoos and yeah. tattoo culture in Los Angeles. It was so much more interesting than I thought it would be as somebody who doesn't have any tattoos. Yeah, I, I also don't. But uh, that, was a, that was a great piece uh, that oh, also thanks. felt yeah, very, made me love Los Angeles a little more. Well, in two days on 420, although this might come out after that, you should read my piece on Cheech and Chong because those two guys are super weird weirdos. <laughs> Wait, I think that came out today. It came out today. It came okay. out today. I, I think I have it in my bag. I'm just trying to get thematic. <laughs> uh, Devin, where can people find you when you work on the internet? Uh, they can find me at DevinCF on Twitter, and they can find me at BadassDigest.com, uh, writing almost every day. Well, Amy, thank you for sitting in as, as guest host. Absolutely. This is a lot of fun. And Devin, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you at home for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.